0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talkie Turkey. I'm here today with my usual co-host and my always co-host, Brian Manning. Brian, how you doing?
1: I'm good, John. And yourself?
0: It was a really busy day at work today, and I've been on the computer staring at every video conference tool that you can find today, but this will be the last one, I guess. It's kind of exciting because it looks like we're headed to another football weekend. Nothing's stopped it yet.
1: The chatter's been much quieter this week about anything COVID related as far as Virginia Tech. So hopefully we I know it's generally quiet, but there was a lot of discussion last week leading up to the game when Fuente spoke with the media on Monday, but nothing this week, so hopefully we're good to go and we get some of those young young men back and coaches are back and we're ready to roll and beat Duke by forty.
0: I think forty's not enough. that's just my opinion. Well, the team is probably getting on the buses tomorrow. Well, I don't know, they might wait with this COVID thing, they might wait till the very last minute. I don't know. But they're headed down to Raleigh-Durham to face off against the 0-3 and kind of dreadful Duke Blue Devils. I'm sitting here looking at the stats page, and for three games, Chase Bryce is thrown 722 yards. Deion Jackson, their lead running back, is run for 175 yards. And Noah Gray, their lead receiver, is up with 152 yards, folks. That's not good. Well, oh.
1: last week, um, against UVA, Duke Duke, I think, jumped out to a lead, and then Chase Bryce got interception happy and was replaced by Gunnar Holmberg, who turned the ball over on his first possession with a fumble. And then the next drive, they brought in Chris Katrinic, I think is how you say his name. I'm not sure, but anyway. Bryce came into the season with some expectations, but he didn't play well last week, and he's not really played all that well yet. And I don't know that it's completely his fault. David Cutcliffe is a quarterback guy, so he's not getting the most out of this guy. They don't have a lot of weapons around him. Uh, Deion Jackson is a good back, but I think we could see any three of these guys play this weekend, but I would lean toward Bryce being the starter.
0: I get just the distinct impression that anybody else was, okay, you're completely falling on your face, and you can actually, I mean, he's a senior. So is Katrenic. He's also a senior. He's an end cycle senior. So my summation is if we play like we did last week, this is going to be an interesting football game, at least from our perspective.
1: Yeah, this is a game where I don't need to remind anyone. We we touched on it on when we recorded the previous podcast wrapping up the NC State game. We touched on what this game's going to mean to Justin Fuente and the Hokies. As you know, last year, I think it was September 26th on a Friday night, the Hokies were like a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Duke came into Blacksburg, and looking back, the game was a complete anom- anomaly, but it changed the course of Virginia Tech's season. I mean, there was 45-10 to 10 Duke. We know that they were up 38-10. They went for that fake punt late in the fourth quarter that angered a lot of people, and that's something coaches and players will never forget. And that's something that'll be in the minds of Fuente and those players this weekend that want to run that score up. But looking back, that was a turning point last season. The Hokies ran off on a a good run, I think winning six out of seven games. That was also the end of the Ryan Willis experiment at quarterback last year. And that's when we saw Hendon Hooker the very next week against Miami. A lot of things changed out of that game. And I remember that morning you know, the morning after talking about that game with you, talking about how I mean recruits that we were expecting to choose the Hokies or had the Hokies in the finals who were dumping were canceling visits. I mean, the sky was falling and Fuente I thought did a tremendous job in rallying the troops, toughening practice up and it looked like a different team from that point forward.
0: Yeah, I mean there was this fits and starts, but yes, it was like the Phoenix, death and then a rebirth and fire. Because I was going through trying to find pictures because there were so few pictures of the NC State game in the search grid for our articles, I was looking at some of our old pictures, and I started going through the Duke pictures, <coughs> which we didn't publish very many of, not just because of it was a terrible game and who wants to see that, but it was literally because that week was really disaster week anyway. I mean there were a lot of things going on that week just were not running in the right directions. So I was going through the pictures. And, you know, I go down on the field and go take pictures of the warmups and everything else. And I was noticing that even in the tunnel for Sandman, everybody was down. The flags were down. I showed a, I I put a picture up on the website of the run out from that game. And it was like, Everybody didn't want to be there on that Friday night. It was just like, no, this is wrong. This is Friday night. We don't want to be here. We wanted to do this on Saturday, whatever. And I don't know what it was, but there was just a really bad juju on the football field when I was down on the football field. I don't know if you could feel it in the press box that weekend, but it was it was just a gloomy juju on the field. They just weren't ready to play football that day. And yeah, it was a miracle coaching job. It really was the, to pull that team out of that tailspin, and set it back up on its feet and get it winning again. That was a miracle coaching job. That might have been the turnaround point in, in Fuente's career at Virginia Tech. You know, that sometimes the worst disasters turn into the greatest triumph.
1: That was a an interesting game in the sense that they were recognizing the 1999 team that appeared in the national championship, and what an awful night to recognize those guys and some of the best players in Virginia Tech history on that team. That was the greatest team in, in school history. And Michael Vick was in town that night. Coach Beamer was with with Michael Vick. I think there was 20-some players. We couldn't get more players than that due to a lot of guys that are into coaching and, and things of that nature. But anyway, we had Vick and Beamer there, the anchors of that team. And, and what a night to have those guys there. And on the field at halftime, knowing that, that what we were watching on the field, I mean, it was just There's nothing positive about that night.
0: So just before in the last little time before our break here, that's what this team has to kind of build on. Uh, We find out later, Ryan Willis was actually pretty badly hurt and wasn't telling anybody. And that's why he wasn't running the ball when he was supposed to. And that's why his passing was terrible for most of the beginning of the season is he had torn up shoulder And hadn't told anybody. that's what happens when you get pride in the way of, you know, being a team player and stepping up and going, look, I'm too badly hurt to play well. And, and, hey, everybody falls into that, right? We've all done that before. You know, you go to work and you're not on your best day. You're hurt. You're whatever. You're distracted. And you really mess everything up. And you really should have stayed home and in bed, you know, that kind of thing. Because you were the guy and it's your job and that kind of stuff.
1: I mean no disrespect to Ryan Willis when I say this, but I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans, myself included, were we're glad that era was over and we turned the page and went to Hendon Hooker because that's what it should have been all along. And I always when- thought
0: Hooker Hooker should have started the season just because he was the way forward. Especially after the second pick in the Boston College game, Willis would have been on the bench and not meanly, but it's like, look, you're gonna throw the ball away. I gotta have somebody else do the job. Well, the-
1: the leash for Willis should have been much shorter early in the season because he wasn't an established quarterback. I mean, he the year before, he had some moments, but nothing that should have had an iron grip on the starting job. But we, we turned that page, and one year later, I really like where we're at at quarterback with Hendon, who should be back this weekend. Yeah. Braxton Burmeister, who started last week, who was really good. And then we got Quincy, and Quincy, I think I I read something earlier this, today or yesterday was, I don't remember what publication it was, but he was the most efficient quarterback of week one. Well, it it wasn't week one, it was week one for us ACC football fans, I guess, at Virginia Tech, but he was the most efficient quarterback last week, and he only threw six passes, but he two touchdowns, four completions.
0: If you're going to throw six passes and two of them are 22 yard TDs to the correct shoulder in a tight pattern on a jump ball, okay, I'll pat you on the back for that. Just so that everybody knows before we head into the break, remember the poll we had that I put up the other day for our wrap up podcast? Who was the Hokie player of the game? 43% of you said Khalil Herbert, and that's a nice choice, and I think that's wonderful. And 47% gave a duel. To I put them both together, Quincy and Braxton, because both of those guys contributed to the win. Both of them were very important to the win, and their unselfishness with each other and with the team <laughs> is what really drove that offense down the field. So I'd like to see that at the Duke game again, where we have that sort of unselfishness and that sort of effort on everybody's part, because I still think it's going to be one of those efforts this season where everybody's going to get touches on the ball.
1: This seems to be a nice and interesting, positive way, rapport in the quarterback room between those three. So that's a good thing to see because they will all be needed. I mean, they were were all needed (laughs) last week in the first game. So that won't be the last time, I'm sure.
0: All right. So on the other side, we're going to go over a few more specifics about Duke and the Duke game and go over the times, and then we'll wrap it all up. So we'll be back in a minute.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. Before the break, we were going ahead at this weekend's Duke-Virginia Tech game and discussing the quarterback situation at Virginia Tech, a little bit about Duke's quarterback situation before that. And as we look at this weekend's game, the one thing that stands out to me is Duke has already played three games this season, and they're 0-3. And if we look at that on the paper, you think, well, that bodes well for Virginia Tech. But as we know... We were headed into last year's game as the favorite, even though it's a different year, different teams. You still can't get too ahead of yourself. And despite the fact that Duke is 0-3, we know that the Hokies, for sure, they're they're not going to take this game lightly. They're going to come in and they're going to be ready to blow Duke out. But it won't be easy. David Cutcliffe has been a thorn in the side of the Hokies in recent seasons. Even in the games that Virginia Tech wins, Duke is competitive.
0: Yeah. Brian, let's say right now we've we've kind of blown by the Duke offense, and we know that they've got some interception problems, which is their lead quarterback has six picks this year and only two touchdowns. So we know how that shakes out. Let's talk about the other side of the ball, because the games weren't all blowouts. Duke did start to look good. How are we dealing against their defense?
1: Well, see, I think the defense is the strength of their team this year. You look at their games, they're, they've given up 27 points to Notre Dame in the opener. They gave up 26 to BC, and they gave up 38 to Virginia. The 38 to Virginia, you look at that in totality, and you realize that turnover set up Virginia in great field position on multiple occasions. And you see Duke's defense had an uphill battle. This defense we're playing this weekend is much better than the defense played last weekend. NC State's got some talented players on that defense, but as a whole, that unit was not very good. This Duke unit is a lot better. I do think the Hokies should be able to, to run the ball. I think they'll win at the line of scrimmage, but Duke has some good players on defense.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking at their roster, and Yahoo's roster doesn't qualify people. It only gives you stats, necessarily, as far as the game.
1: Duke's given up 150 yards on the ground per game. They're pretty solid though, in yards per attempt. They're only giving up 3.7 yards per attempt, giving up six touchdowns. So they're solid against the ground. They have been been able to get, get them through the air as teams are averaging 275 passing yards a game against the Blue Devils. So in, in Armstrong in his, first, in his first start for Virginia had a nice game throwing the football, which should bode well for Hendon or Burmeister, whoever's playing a lot of quarterback this weekend. We didn't see more passing last weekend because we didn't need to be. I think this weekend we're going to see more pass attempts, which means I think Trey Turner will be a lot more involved this weekend and James Mitchell will will be squarely in the middle of things. And of course, Tavion Robinson. So I think this weekend you're going to see his passing the football a lot more and probably open that running game up with the passing game.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking down their roster of Pete players, and of course it doesn't tell you who starts and who doesn't. But their defensive line is not – got a couple of 300-pounders. One of them is a freshman and a sophomore. Yeah, two sophomores. But really, their defensive line isn't much bigger than ours is. So that's kind of an interesting take. Their tackles are a little bit bigger, but not much.
1: Here's an interesting stat to me, and it, it tells the tale of the Virginia game. In three games, Duke is minus nine in turnover margin. That should excite us. I think we should we should look to to capitalize on that. They're minus nine three games. They've turned the ball over fourteen times, seven picks, lost seven fumbles. So uh,
0: there's going to be some ball hawking, and that's where the next thing we need to go to and talk about is our defense. I mean, we talked about our offense, and we you know we know that we've got a nasty, stinky offensive line finally, and it's a two-deep stinky, and they fight hard, and who said it? Somebody said that one of the referees went to Brock Hoffman and asked him to tone it down a little bit. You know, I like to hear that. We haven't heard that in a while, have we?
1: No, he's the great He's the perfect leader for this group. I mean, it's just a, it's a good group, and he just he just fits right in as the leader. I think he kind of assumed that role when he when he came here last year as a transfer. So nice to see that he he establishes a nastiness on that group that's full of talented players from right to left, and then Virginia Tech can go really go eight deep at offensive line and not miss a beat.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So now we got to look at our defense against their offense. Just because you start to bring it up, and our defense. The defensive line we've got justice we of course we got Justice Reed, who is now big number nine he's starting to assert that personality into that group. It's kind of brought up Hewitt. I saw Hewitt all over the place when he was in playing that he was shutting down holes that he was working he wasn't like getting big tackles and stuff in the rush. he was containing and controlling the middle and just stuffing up the middle. He was forcing everything to the outside, which is what he's supposed to do as a nose tackle. So I'm, I'm happy and pleased with that. I did notice that our three linebackers in my grade sheet, the linebackers, I couldn't pick out a star or a linebacker because all three of them were really good last week. And I'm looking for that again this week. You know, I, I, how's your take on that?
1: Yeah, last week, the linebackers, I thought they were, the defensive line was so good making a lot of plays in the backfield that I didn't think that the, the linebackers had to be so I think it were, Ashby had five tackles and, and he did get a sack and maybe a sack and a half and Tisdale seemed to me like he played more than Dax this week both played quite a bit Dax did pick up a half sack they were very active we know that's a strength of the team I love watching Tisdale play I think Dax to me is more suited at Mike but that he's not going to play Mike this year with Ashby he's, next year will be his chance there I believe but no, it was a good, good effort, and I think you should probably you'll probably see more Ashby rack up his ten usual tackles this week against Duke. But hopefully, we get get to the quarterback six more times. That would be fun.
0: Yeah. yeah, especially with them having a case of dropsies. The big thing that it, and I noticed last week that I'd like to see the defense bring again this week is that same really badass attitude out in the defensive backfield. They weren't challenged a lot last week, so they were. They came flying down into the box to take care of stuff in the box. I've got a feeling that's going to be another replay this time because, of course, with the kind of weak passing attack that Duke does have. Although, well, like we say, Cutcliffe might pull something out of some place and surprise us, so we got to be careful. But i got a feeling Chamari Connor is going to be more strong safety in the box. He was doing a great job last week. I think the out the boundary corner, who's Chapman? You know, you've got boundary and field corners. I don't know what they've got Chapman doing. I think he was playing the boundary corner this last time. Most of the time, they've been really mixing it up, which has been impressive. I, I noticed they, that with the linebackers too.
1: Uh, all three corners that played last week, I think, were impressive. Breon, you know, Breon Murray had that big pick, and this week, I think, hopefully. Yeah. Jermaine Waller will be back in the starting lineup. We really need him back in the start. With Caleb Farley gone, we need Waller back. But it was good experience for those other guys to be on the field as the three main guys with Waller out. So hopefully, we'll have a full cast there this weekend in the, in the a corner. Yeah, I think so. Let me go back to our offense and, and against Duke's defense. One matchup that I that I want to point out is is Victor. This last name can be a bit difficult sometimes, but, but Victor DiMukaji, the defensive end from Baltimore for Duke, he is really good. He is uh, number 51. He's a is a senior out of Baltimore. When he was being recruited a few years back, he actually, his finalists for Duke and Virginia Tech, and he ended up going to Duke. I wish we could have got him. He's a really good player. So far in three games this year, he has four sacks and five tackles for loss, 13 tackles forced to fumble. He's a good player. He's a really good player. He's been a really good player entire career there. I assume he's going to be matched up with Darasaw. Derisaw was amazing last week. So that should be one of the better battles to watch. But as I said, I'm not sure which side he lines up on. I'm just going to assume he's going to line up on the right side. So that's a matchup to watch.
0: Yeah, that would be. But you know, they could move him. You know, a lot of the guys, times guys swap and they could move him over against Tanuta. I think it's going to be a fun challenge to watch what happens either way, because one person that seems to have rubbed off a little bit on Tenuta is Hoffman, and Tanuta's really upped this game. I like the way he's been hitting it too. Back
1: when we recruited Tanuta, he's from Charlottesville area. His dad was the defensive coordinator at Virginia at one time, but back when we recruited him, he was a bit of a project. He was tall, and I think when he was in high school, he was like 6'7", 250. He put on a lot of beef the last years, and he was a redshirt freshman last year and kind of just took on that role and moved into the spot and never really gave it back up. And he does play with a mean streak, and I'm not sure if anyone read the article, but he was actually, by pro football focus, he was the number one rated right tackle in all college football last week. So that's pretty impressive considering the SEC was back at play. Yeah,
0: it's it was for him to get noticed.
1: But other than the Mukaji, they don't have any players on defense that really scares me. But overall, it is a good unit, and – It's a better unit than their offense.
0: So, hey, look, we've got a lot of good things happening. I figure this is what we'll do our verbal predictions. We didn't do it last week. We're going to do it this week. And we're going to remember them, write them down or something, so that when we put the article together, we don't step on them. I'm going for probably 48 to maybe 17 tech. I know that sounds weird but I just got a feeling it's going to be one of those games.
1: Well, for me, I, I think I think it's going to be 38-17 Virginia Tech. That's where I'm going.
0: So, hey, Brian, that's probably our cue to say good night. And everybody, let's just keep it up. we got a couple more articles come out. We'll have a poll on this article and, you know, the usual, what we think the spread's going to be and and what we think the score's you to, know, who we think is going to come away with the win. We'll have Brian's technical review, and hopefully they get on the bus to go to Raleigh-Durham because it's a bus trip, and we put them away this time. So, as we always say, go Hokies! Go Hokies!